Welcome to the Peachy Books podcast. I'm Roy Peachy, and today, in my final podcast about A Christmas Carol, I'm going to talk about children and childhood in the book. In my last podcast, I suggested that one way of looking at A Christmas Carol is to consider it as a story about two key characters, Scrooge and Tiny Tim. In many ways, they are complete opposites, but there are similarities too, the most significant of which is that we see them both as children. Listen to this passage as the ghost of Christmas past takes Scrooge back to his childhood. The jocund travellers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named them every one. Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted at crossroads and byways for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? Out upon Merry Christmas, what good had it ever done to him? It's a fascinating passage because of the way it's written. It's a third-person narrator speaking, but one who gives us Scrooge's thoughts. And what we are given is the conflict in his heart. He's being pulled in two different directions, just like Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. And then what happens next? The school is not quite deserted, said the ghost. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Scrooge said he knew it, and he sobbed. And he sobbed. What a remarkable sentence. Scrooge didn't cry, he sobbed. It's just stave two, and he's sobbing already. As Claire Tomlin, one of Dickens' biographers, has pointed out, Scrooge's transformation didn't simply take place at the end of the book. It happens here, when the spirit takes him back to his own childhood. It's Scrooge's therapy, we might say, though of course Dickens wouldn't have used that language. And what do we learn about Scrooge as a child? They went, the ghost and Scrooge, across the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room made barer still by lines of plain deal forms and desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten self. We see the child Scrooge, and it's tragic. But then Dickens plays around with the narration one more time. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. Suddenly a man in foreign garments, wonderfully real and distinct to look at, stood outside the window with an axe stuck in his belt and leading by the bridle an ass laden with wood. Why, it's Ali Baba! Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. It's dear, old, honest Ali Baba. Yes, yes, I know. One Christmas time, when yonder solitary child was left to all alone, he did come, for the first time, just like that. Poor boy. And Valentine, said Scrooge, and his wild brother Orson, there they go. And what's his name, who was put down in his drawers asleep at the gate of Damascus? Don't you see him? And the Sultan's groom turned upside down by the genie. There he is upon his head. Serve him right, I'm glad of it. What business had he to be married to the princess? So what we see here is the child's perspective. We're not told by the narrator that it was as if he saw Ali Baba outside the window. No, the man appeared. Ali Baba himself appears out the window because this is how it seemed to the young child. 
So although we're looking back at the action, although we're looking back at Scrooge's past, what we actually see is with the child's eyes. We see in the present through the narration. It's very cleverly written. And what's the effect of all of this on Scrooge? I wish, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him after drying his eyes with his cuff. But it's too late now. What is the matter? asked the spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge. Nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something. That's all. So we see the first sign of his conversion. We see the first sign of this great change that comes about. And it's because he sees himself as a child. But this isn't the first time we've seen a child in the book. Right back at the start of the book, in stave one, we read this. In the main street, at the corner of the court, some labourers were repairing the gas pipes and had lighted a great fire in a brazier, round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze in rapture. But at that point, Scrooge keeps his distance. It's not my business, Scrooge returned. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. So Scrooge keeps a a distance. He's uninvolved. And what does the ghost of Christmas past do? He gets him involved. He takes him close. He takes him back to his own childhood. And that makes all the difference. And what about the description of the child carol singer? Well, we don't even see him. We only see his nose and hear his song. The owner of one scant young nose, gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold as bones and gnawed by dogs, stoops down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. But at the first sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. There are other children besides. In Stave 3, for instance, we meet an old, old man and woman with their children and their children's children, and another generation beyond that. And more significantly still, we meet two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable at the end of the same stave. They had been sheltering under the robe of the ghost of Christmas present. They were a boy and girl, yellow, meagre, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints, a stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacing, No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation has monsters half so horrible and dread. Who are they? We hear a couple of paragraphs later. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both and all of their degree. But most of all beware this boy for on his brow I see that written which is doom unless the writing be erased. Deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out its hand towards the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for your factious purposes and make it worse. And bide the end. So we have these two figures who represent the worst of Britain at the time when Dickens was writing. They are the warning. They are what children can become when they are not well treated. 
In this book, Dickens holds out children as an example to us, but he also holds out children as a warning. If they are exploited, the whole kingdom is going to go to rack and ruin. Dickens knew what childhood was really like. He knew the innocence of childhood, and he knew the horrors of child labour as well. It's also perhaps no surprise that we meet Bob Cratchit before we learn his name, and that it takes a good while before we meet his children, and especially Tiny Tim, his disabled son. Because we see as Scrooge sees, we learn with him. Children break through the coldness of heart, and gradually they appear in the book. And of course, the children teach Scrooge. Unlike Bob Cratchit, who's able to enjoy himself like a child, the clerk with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no greatcoat, went down a slide on Cornhill at the end of a lane of boys 20 times in honour of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play at blind man's buff. Unlike that, Scrooge takes a long time to warm up. He takes a long time to become like a child. It is no coincidence then that in stave five, after his great change, Scrooge says that he is as light as a feather, as happy as an angel, as merry as a schoolboy. It's no coincidence that he generously tips the boy who fetches the turkey for him, that he patted children on the head, and finally that he became a second father to Tiny Tim. He has learned his lesson. Last time I mentioned Dickens' comment that in each of these Christmas stories there is an express text preached on, and that text is always taken from the lips of Christ. The text around which this book revolves might just be the one that Scrooge hears in stave four, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. The narrator is quoting from the Gospels, of course, and he's referring to Jesus taking a child and saying to the disciples, you have to learn from children. It is only as a child that you will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so in this book, we don't simply see children. We learn about childhood. Childhood is at the absolute centre of this book. Scrooge has to learn from children. He has to learn from himself as a child. It is a book in which children teach adults. It's a book about learning to develop a childlike spirit. That's the heart of the Christmas message here. Thank you very much for listening today and to all of the other podcasts. I'm Roy Peachy. This has been the Peachy Book Podcast. I'll see you for my next series. Thank you.